Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to this kickoff message of a series we've entitled Summer Vibes. And I know that last week, June 21st, we kicked off summer and we kicked it off right. I mean, uh, what's an East Texas summer without a little bit of like nine days in a row of 100 plus degree weather? This is crazy, but... That's okay, even in the middle of the heat, even in the middle of uh, church signs all over uh, East Texas, they're gonna say, you know, you think this is hot, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, in, in the middle of all that, I am praying for our church, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for your family and your sphere of influence that you would have some proper, encouraging summer vibes. And what do I mean by that? A vibe is kind of the feel that you have. That house has a certain modern vibe that, you know, I was a little concerned that they were kind of giving off a vibe. It's, it's, it's really, when people get close to us, it's like the emotions that people notice more than any other emotion. It's the vibe we, we give off. And in this summer series and all throughout the next couple of months as we enjoy a summer season at Timber Creek Church and you enjoy that as your family, uh, I wanna encourage you that some of that vibes that we're talking about, uh, as you think about summer, uh, here's what I'm praying over for you. I'm praying that you would enjoy it. Like, enjoy summer. I mean, there are so many things that we can look at and we've got to get done and need to get done and can't do this and can't do that. And maybe there are some things that we can really hone in on and enjoy. For some of us, though, it's not just really enjoying. It's kind of, you got to rejoy. And what do I mean by rejoy? Well, you know, the, the better word for that is rejoice. It's kind of a, it's a re-engaging of joy. That's my prayer for you. Joy is like a buoyancy in the middle of the heavy waves of life. It gives you a, a buoyancy uh, that what would sink other people, joy gives you an assurance that he's with me, Jesus is with me, no matter what circumstances I'm facing. Ultimately, this joy and this rejoicing, um, you know, you could also use the word, simple word, happiness. Um, I want this to be a happy summer for you. Um, and, and even in the middle of your circumstances, knowing that, you can still, you can still experience happiness in your life. And so what, what does that look like? So we're gonna unpack that over the next few weeks and in the month of July, not only uh, are we going to lock into a particular passage of scripture, um, but we're going to give you habits for happiness. And in order to like get us started, I'm inviting you to take your worship guide or there on the Timber Creek app and open it up and uh, fill in some of these blanks. I think these are gonna be helpful for you to go back this next week over the next six days before we get to next Sunday. How might you uh, do some spiritual inventory, ask yourself some questions related to the content and let's kind of drill deep. We're gonna be in one passage for the next four, uh, six or seven weeks and how do we drill deep and just just get the sift for all the gold that's, that's in this scripture passage. Before we jump into the scripture, I really wanna kinda give you the, the starting line, and that is, I wanna just give you kinda four foundational facts about happiness so we can kinda get our definition right. When I say happiness, some people think one thing, other people think another, and, and so let's just give you some four quick facts about happiness. Number one, here it is. I don't find it. 
I don't find happiness. It's not the, the, the bucket of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's not the culmination of that finally, you know, finding the right Mrs. Right or the right Mr. Right. Uh, you don't find it, you create it. Um, you create happiness. Um, this is one of the challenges that we face in humanity and in particular America, that even in our founding documents that part of why we even exist is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And many times people, they wanna be happy, so they, they try to pursue it and find it, but really it comes down to it's something that I, I create. And you'll see this throughout the word of God. Happiness is not the right goal. If I could just be happy, I, the Lord just wants me to be happy. Happiness is not a goal that you achieve. It's not a finish line that you cross. Happiness, happiness is not the right goal. That if I can just get there, as a matter of fact, it's a byproduct of right thinking. Oh, I'm just so stressed out of my job. The stre- my job is so stressful. Really, it's not the stress of your job, it's the way you think about the stress of your job. Those people drive me crazy. It's not so much the people, it's how, you, how those people uh, not just even make you feel, but how you feel about them, how you choose to feel about them. And so a byproduct of negative thinking is criticism and frustration and worry and fear and anxiety. A byproduct of, of the right thinking being transformed by the renewing of our mind, the right thinking is I create that happiness by choosing how I'm going to step into a situation. When you walk into a room, do you make the room better? Do you warm it up or do you cool it off? When you walk into the room, are people excited that you're there? When you walk out of a room, are they excited that you're gone? That all has to do with the right thinking and choosing to not let our emotions get out of control when we deal with circumstances that happen in our lives. Here's another foundation. Happiness built by happenings is short-lived. Happiness built by happenings. I can go to Disney World and the happiest place on earth. But then when I get the bank statement or when I get off the airplane after vacation and we're driving home from Houston, we start having, I don't know if you've ever had this conversation. This is the conversation my wife and I have every time we go on vacation. When we come from Houston back home, we're saying, we gotta tighten up the budget and we gotta tighten up the eating. Gotta eat better, gotta spend better. Why? Because it's happiness that's based on circumstances and happenings. And then I'm not very happy when I realize, ooh, I kinda overdid it here, overdid it there. That's short-lived, just a happening. People are so hungry and thirsty to find the right atmosphere Um, This is what pushes people from one relationship to the next, that it's the happenings around that relationship versus cultivating the right thinking in those relationships. Happiness built by the right habits can be and is sustainable. Uh, The same way that a piano, you can play a chord uh, and, and you play that chord and you lift your hands, you hear the sound and it stops. But there's, there's a pedal that creates sustain. And so you can put your hands down on the cord and you press the pedal. It sustains the sound. There is, 
ways that we sustain emotions in our lives. There are people in your life and it may be you're sitting right next to them or it may be that you look at them in the mirror every day because it's you. you. There's ways that you can sustain negativity. You sustain negativity in your life. You sustain worry. You sustain uh, fear. You sustain that bitterness. You can also, the opposite is true, you can sustain blessings in your life with the right heart. You can sustain uh, happiness in your heart with the right thinking. And there is 66 books written by 40 different authors on three continents over the course of 1,500 years that give us the story of God and the emotions of God and the characteristics of God and our part in that story of God. And there are all of these books in the New Testament that give us um, insights into uh, God-like, Christ-like living and there is no happier book, there's no joy-filled book that is, that is stronger in the heart of gratitude and rejoicing and, and being happy than the book of Philippians. Here's what's crazy. The book of Philippians is written by Paul and he's not in Disneyland, he's in prison. So we already know he is writing uh, what is really the happiest book of the Bible under guard, behind bars. And he is writing a four chapter, very quick to read. You know you can read Philippians from start to finish in 14 minutes, two minutes a day, and you can read the entire book. I'm encouraging all of us to bring your Bible to church during this time. Uh, if you have the digital Bible, that's great, but I encourage you if you uh, like, like highlight and go through because we're going to be, be uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to the Spirit of God through the, through the words of, of Paul mixed in, and, and we're going to learn what it looks like to really develop habits of happiness. The word joy, uh, gladness, and happiness, the same root word in the original language that, that makes up these words uh, appears in those four little chapters over 14 minutes of reading 17 different times. So there is a thematic element. This is a thank you note that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Was the church of Philippi just happy-go-lucky? No, they had issues. There was stuff around them. They, they, needed, they, they, they were under persecution, yet Paul writes his thank you note because they had blessed his ministry so much. They had given uh, generously into the ministry of sharing the message of Jesus to people outside their four walls. That's what All In is all about. We're in a two-year uh, vision and velocity campaign as a church where we are moving outside the four walls to multiply leaders and multiply locations uh, in order to partner together with what Jesus wants to do in the timber country of East Texas. That's what Philippi was doing with the Apostle Paul as Apostle Paul was creating community destinations where anyone could find and follow Jesus. Jesus. So let's dive into this. Let's dive into this book today. We're going to um, jump in. Let me start with this question. Think about this for a second. Okay. Go through, just kind of situate your thoughts here. And here's the question. If I want to be happy, where should I start? If I want to be happy, where should I start? Many people start with, if I can get a little bit more money, if I can save a little bit more money, if I can lose a little bit more weight, 
if I can find a new girl, if I can find a new bow, uh, bow and arrow or bow, like my bow, you know, yeah, like well, if I can find a new, uh, you know, bow flex or uh, Botox, I don't know, but like there's all kinds of things. What will make me happy? Um, if, if I could just have a, a better sex life, if I could just have more money in the bank, if I could just have uh, that better job, if I could just have the acceptance of these people, if I could just find that right house, if I could just get out of that debt. We start in many places of what we think will make us happy. And the Apostle Paul starts this book of joy um, all in the context of relationships. It's really hard to live a happy life if in your relationships, you're really unhappy. It's hard to live happy if you're unhappy in your relationships. So we're gonna jump in today and I'm gonna read a portion of scripture from Philippians chapter one. All right, you guys follow along right here at the broadcast, right there at Nacogdoches. We're going to dive right in. I just wanna read this to you. So follow along in your word or follow along on the screen. Here we go. Now this letter's from Paul and Timothy Slaves of Christ Jesus, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, these are Christ's followers, including the church leaders and deacons. I can't tell you how many times I have met church leaders and pastors that the last vibe they be given off is like happy. If anything, like the vibe they're getting off is like, you know, constipated. I don't even know. Like they're just frustrated. They're just, uh, you know, always ticked off about something. I mean, yelling at the top of their thumbs on Facebook about this or that or the other. And instead of actually like encouraging people to follow Jesus, they're actually just like encouraging criticism of other churches. It's crazy. And the apostle Paul wants to talk about joy and rejoicing, not just with the church body, but with the leaders. I need this message series for me. And my wife said, amen, like I need to learn how to cultivate happiness in my everyday life. It's for the church leaders and it's for deacons. I've been to some churches that they're not demon possessed, they're deacon possessed, okay? Anybody ever been to church like that? No, okay, just me, all right. Every time I think of you, Paul says, like every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Partnership. You know, uh, we have made a shift in how we talk about people joining Timber Creek Church. Uh, it's not about membership. That's a pretty common uh, thought, members. Um, but we really consider those that join our church body to be partners, that we're, we're in this together. Many times, membership is about, I'm going to pay the membership fee, and that gives me access to all these rights. But as partners, what we do is we lay down our own rights for the greater good so that we can move forward together. And I wanna invite you to be a partner with Timber Creek, um, to not just let a Facebook page invite people to church, to not just uh, let um, a, a commercial or sermon or, or whatever, that, that you would be a partner in sharing the good news of Jesus. Um, over the course of the rest of this year, we wanna equip you with how to more easily share your faith. And I can tell you one way that will, will hinder you in sharing your faith if you're grumpy and negative and critical and rude all the time. See, there's something powerful about getting this vibe, getting this 
cultivation of happiness, it makes you a stronger partner in the, not the, just the news or the bad news or the critical news, but the good news, the great news, happy, joyful news. Um, Jesus came with great joy to bring peace on earth. For his joy to be complete, he endured the cross. There's something about this happiness that we cultivate, this joy of the Lord that's our strength, that makes us a great partner. Be thinking now, who could I invite to this series? Who, who, who could I invite just to experience the joy of being a part of Timber Creek Church? Like This is a joyful and joy-filled Church. We want people to come into our church and they, they're carrying a heavy weight and to be able to walk away with breath of fresh air, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit encouraging them and, and, and seeing a smile on their face because they heard from God and they realize God's not mad at them, but they, he has a plan for their life. He's spreading the good news. You've been my partners. I, I thank you for, for that. And I'm confident of this. The God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. It ain't done yet until the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right, it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you for you have a special place in my heart. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I love those words, tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Now watch. I pray, and anytime you see this in scripture where one of the authors says, I pray, this is a great indicator of, I should look at this as maybe, could this be a way that I pray? Could I take this and use this as an outline of how I can pray? So look how he prays, and this is actually where we're gonna set up the rest of our habits for happy relationships over the rest of this message. I pray, and here's what he prays. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit, um, the evidence of your salvation. You, you, you don't know from the seed whether it's an apple tree or a pear tree, but as that seed is planted and it germinates and it produces, that fruit is already inside, but our salvation should produce fruit. And what is that fruit? It's the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. What is glory? The full weight of who God is. As we, as we focus on those, this is Paul's prayer for the church. This is my prayer for our church in this season. And Paul gives us in that small little prayer, basically four habits for happy relationships. In this first 11 verses and that prayer, he gives us four habits. Let's, let's go through these one by one. <clears throat> first one is this, write it down. Habit number one, be grateful for the people in my life. If you were to think about the top three people in your life right now, who would they be? It may be for you, it may be the, the, the top four people because you think of maybe your spouse and your three kids. Maybe um, it's uh, your uh, mom and it's a coach. Uh, who are you grateful for? Be grateful for the people 
in your life. Look what, how Paul starts this thank you note. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Now, every time my wife thinks of me, I'm sure she probably says something to God. I'm not for sure if it's always a thank you to God because I know that that's how I can feel too. There are people in your life when you think of them is your first response, grateful? <laughs> you know, don't even lie. You know it's not, right? And Paul, in the middle of prison, having had a, some, some beautiful moments in life and some hard moments, is cultivating and choosing and creating that spirit, that spirit of joy bubbling up, that fruit of his own salvation. I, man, I just thank God for you when I think about you. Write it down. Have I forgotten to remember some things people have done? Um, little things, small little acts of kindness. Do you remember? Have you forgotten to remember so many times? Here's what happens. Some of the most important relationships in our lives, we just get used to those relationships it becomes routine. It becomes, um, I just I already know how they're gonna respond and I can lose sight of the little things. I can lose sight of remembering some important things that I should focus on and be grateful for with my kids. Instead of focusing on the uh, critical and corrective, I should focus on connecting and uh, encouraging but it's so easy to get focused in on more of the negative stuff. How many of you have ever had someone um, point out something in your life over and over and over again? We call that nagging. And um, how many of you were just changed by the power of nagging, right? No, no. If you were, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you, you, we need to cast something out of you. But like nagging is probably not, I would say, in the top 100 tools for a healthy marriage, okay? It's not in there. But many times when we get so used to each other, we can more be critical and negative and even nagging about things. And I'm inviting us, what would it look like for us to remember some things that we've forgotten that would be important for simply just today to send a text? Some of you right now, you're thinking of something. It's okay. Pull your phone out. Find that person. Text them while you're listening and filling in the blanks. If you can do it, you're great. You get a prize. Uh, you get a treat out in, the, in our lobbies after service if you can do all that at one time. But but, but here's what I'm encouraging. Like, you've got to be able to remember the right things. Here's another one, though, okay? On the, the other side is true. Have I remembered to forget some things people have done? Because there's some wonderful attributes that I've forgotten to remember, but it's so easy to remember a lot of things that I should probably forget. I, I can remember some th that the way they did that and the way, and, and, and they're, you know, I mean, uh, something they said that was critical and negative, Six years ago, they don't even remember it, but I'm sure holding on to it. I'm holding a grudge against that. I remember how they didn't say anything to me. I saw the pastor at Walmart and he just walked by me, smiled, but didn't even remember my name, bless God. And, and, and like, are there anything in our lives, anything in our relationships you need to remember to forget? Some things we've forgotten to remember and some stuff we need to remember to forget. Be grateful for the people in your life. 
And Paul doesn't just stop there that, that I have an attitude of gratitude for people. But number two, the second habit, he says, pray with joy for the people in my life. And how does he say this? He says, whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. All right, so think of someone who irritates you. Think of someone who kind of, you know, ticks you off. Think of that person at work or think of that person at the family reunion or think of that person that, you know, you're sitting right next to. Don't look at them, just think about them. They irritate you, all right? How often are you praying for them? Now pause. You're probably, you may be praying for them a lot. But if you're praying like, God, I cannot get them to understand. They just won't do it. God, why won't you? Why can't he just get it through his thick skull? And Paul is saying, pray for you. But it's not just pray. Like, God, I just want to complain to you about these people. There was was an important calibration of his prayer that he would pray with people with joy. Don't just pray for them. Don't just pick them apart. You can be honest with God. You can be frustrated with people with God, but what would it look like? How would the irritation begin to dilute in your life over that person if you begin to pray over them with joy, with kindness, with believing that God would just bless their socks off? We've talked about Fran quite a bit. Fran is our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. And for those of us joining at the Duncan and Dieball unit, we call them France for you guys because it's friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, and cellmates, right? You got cellmates. So like you, those are people you can pray for. That's your sphere of influence. Some of you, and I say Duncan and Dieball, but uh, you would consider maybe a spouse a cellmate because it's, anyway, it feels like that sometimes. Um, what do you pray for Fran? What do you pray for Fran? We see it right here with Paul. And so let me give you four things that you can pray for your kiddos this summer. Uh, not just to hit the ball, not just to make that, that uh, team for the school extracurricular. Uh, four ways you can pray for your family, you can pray for your spouse, you can pray for your friends, you can pray for your boss, you can pray for your coworkers, you can pray for those that, that you lead. Four simple ways to pray. You would pray they will grow in love, that they would grow in love, that they would grow in feeling loved and they would grow in giving love and understanding that love is not just an emotion. Love, we put on love uh, as well. We choose to love and that love isn't a feeling by itself. It's, It's a person. When the apostle Paul in Corinthians talks about, he gives us the love chapter so to love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, but the truth is I do envy and I'm not very patient and sometimes I'm not kind and sometimes I do boast. I wish I were perfect in those things, I'm not, but guess who is? Love is personified in that scripture. Jesus is kind and Jesus is patient and Jesus does not envy and Jesus does not boast, although he is the most that could boast. He is confident yet he doesn't have to boast. He's sure and he comes to speak to the truth and he gives us grace and truth and he speaks it in love because he speaks it in the way that only he can. So as we grow in love, we're growing in Christ. That's really the the key. Look, scripture says, I pray that your love will overflow. When you get pinched, what overflows? When you get in a bind, when you get stressed, what overflows? Pray that we would overflow with love. 
Here's another thing we can pray over our kids this summer. Pray they will make wise choices. We as parents want to um, raise great deciders, that they would be great decision makers, using the word of God as the moral compass for every decision they make, become great deciders, whether they're single or married, whether they make the job or not, they can be a great decision maker on what job to choose, what job to leave, what job to start, what, what, what person to date, what person to say no to, like, like great decision makers. Um, make wise choices, he says, I want you to understand what really matters. The way to make great decisions is to boil it down to what really matters. You know, don't be afraid of failing. Be afraid of succeeding in all kinds of stuff that at the end of the day doesn't really matter. That burns all up at the end of it. So many people on their deathbeds have regrets. They have, they, 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 they have wishes they would have wish they would have made a stronger contribution, wish, wish they would have let go of that hurt, wish they would have reached out more, wish they would have really pursued that dream, wish they wouldn't have settled for second best. They, they, they wish they would have chosen what really matters. They did not make some great decisions. Focus on what really matters. And then he says, why would we do that? So that we can live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. What is he saying? It's the third piece. Pray they will live with integrity. Integrity, when you think of an uh, integer, uh, or you, if you, uh, you think of an uh, um, integral part, it's a whole number or it's wholeness. Integrity isn't just living a straight line of legalism. Integrity means I'm living whole. That, that, that there isn't um, a portion, a percentage of my life that's divided out. The whole common peace, the whole doesn't have to be divided. I am who I am from the surface all the way down. Like all the way down, I fundamentally trust in the Lord. It's not that I fundamentally trust in the Lord until I don't get my way or until my emotions uh, disagree or in, until culture says you should do it a different way. Like integrity is I'm, I'm living that way all the way down. Finally, he says, pray they become more like Jesus there's anybody we should emulate and want to strive to become more and more like is him. Scripture says, may you always be filled with that fruit of your salvation, the fruit of the Spirit. And notice that it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's not like you walk into the grocery aisle and you get some pineapple and orange and bananas and some kiwi. You can't just like go to the grocery aisle and pick, I'm gonna do love and, and, and peace, patience. <laughs> not for me, okay? Not wired that way. It's the fruit of the Spirit, meaning all those things are the fruit. It's, 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 it's not a pick and choose smorgasbord. We take all of it, the fruit of our salvation, the righteous character righteous character. In our last series, Warrior, we talked about what the breastplate of righteousness meant, and that whole word righteousness means presentable, presentable. It's been our issue since the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, when they sinned and they fell short, they were unrighteous. They were not presentable before God. They realized their nakedness, so what did they try to do? They tried to create their own righteousness in the form of fig leaves. They tried to cover themselves and make themselves presentable to God, and so what does Jesus do? Jesus covers all of us with his blood. He covers us with the sacrifice of the cross. It's his righteousness that God looks through. It's Jesus' presentableness that God sees through into us, and so his righteous, presentable character, because you ain't 
full of the right character, but when you're full of Jesus, Jesus' character can offset the poison of our humanity one day at a time. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. I just want to, you know what? I just want to make God happy. I just want to make God happy. He said, hey, follow me. Become more like me. Number one, his happiness isn't based on how good you get or how good you are. And his lack, his, his frustration with you isn't based on how bad you are. He loves you. He, he loves you regardless. He loves you with an everlasting love. Um, he would not have preemptively paid for your sin if he didn't deeply, all the way down, love you with everything. So your love, his love for you isn't based on how good you are, how happy you are, but, but his joy in you, he, he dances over you. He loves you. And it's especially pleasing to him when we bring him glory. Number three, expect the best from the people in my life. It's really easy to be critical of people more than it is to believe in people. We, we, we tend to notice the negative more quickly. Uh, the Apostle Paul was speaking to a church and speaking to a group of people that were not perfect, that had issues. There were issues in Philippi. And yet the Apostle Paul says it like this, I'm confident of this, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day when Christ Jesus returns. If something is began, but it's not finished, it, what it means is there's still room to grow. There's still room to produce. There's still room where you could get it wrong. But he had a confidence in what was beginning, not just confidence in actually finishing the job. When it comes to people in our, in our life, the truth is this is how God is wired. He begins a good work in you. He can see it on through completion. Guess how you and I aren't typically wired in this fallen nature. We are made in the image of God, but in our sin nature, you know how we're wi wired? We're kind of wired to be like, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that they will do? This scripture is inviting us into a habit of happiness to think through, you know, what's the best that could happen? We, we, we tend to strategize and pros and cons list things, but we can really have a default to what's the worst thing that could happen. If we did that, if we stepped out in faith, if we risked it, if we tithed, oh man, I don't know if I'd be able to pay my bills. If I tithe, if I gave to all in, I don't know if I could really go on that vacation. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, or if I tithe, what's the best that could happen? I could honor God, could build the kingdom. People come into heaven. God could, I would be aligned with the blessings of God. And when order in my life is restored, blessings are released that aren't released in any other way until my life is, is in alignment with his word. Whoa, what's the best that could happen? I could build the kingdom. I could be a partner in the sharing of the good news of Jesus with the kingdom of God. Whoa, that'd be pretty cool. What's the best it could happen. Oh, kids are going off to school. They're going to college. I don't know. I'm going to miss this. What's the best that could happen? <laughs> you know, like, you know, they grow up and they're not living with you when they're 27. What's the best that could happen? So, so think about it this way. Write it down in your notes. Let's celebrate how far people have come rather than judging how far they have left to go. We celebrate how far they've come. You know, I, I can be the baseball dad that's quick to point out, come on, hustle, what are you doing? Come on now. And 
inadvertently focus on what hasn't happened or what didn't take place as opposed to really speak and, 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 and carve out the good things. I believe that it's my job as a spiritual leader to call out and carve out greatness in people. That's why we say around Timber Creek, your God-given potential is our mission. We wanna help you. We just wanna call that potential out in you. We also wanna help carve it out. It's one thing to call it out and say, man, I believe that you can, man, I believe you're gonna be a champion. I just wanna carve that out. I wanna I want, I want provide opportunities for you. I wanna speak over you. I wanna challenge you and encourage you and sometimes give you words that may, through the Holy Spirit, convict you. I want you to feel what it feels like to, to kind of put some work in in your spiritual life and sometimes that creates sweat on the brow. But I wanna call that out and carve that out in you as your pastor and as your friend. Celebrate where they've come, not how far they've got left to go. Paul goes on to say, it's right. It's the right thing. It's the right thing. It just feels right. It is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. <clears throat> when you really allow people to have a special place in your heart, I wanna tell you, it's right. We're living in a day and age where skepticism rules the day way more than kind of an open-heartedness to people. We, we, we hedge, um, we uh, protect, uh, there's a less openness and transparency and a willingness to trust. And we ought to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We ought to be careful who we place our trust in for sure. But there's also a, a missing vulnerability when we don't really allow people to know our heart or even be in our heart. How can you pray the right prayers over people if they're not in your heart? What is your heart? We're not talking about blood pumping organ. We're talking about the integration of your thoughts and your emotions and your desires, that's what your heart is. It's all that intertwining of your thoughts and your emotions and your desires that you would have people in your thoughts, have people emotionally connected and desire to see them move forward. Um, write it down. If people aren't in my heart, if my, if my wife isn't in my heart, consistently in my thoughts, and in my, in my uh, desires, in my emotions. People aren't in my heart. Here's, here's what's gonna happen. They're easily on my nerves. <laughs> if, they're, if they're not in my heart, they're easily on my nerves. There are people um, that, a, a church I used to, used to go to a long time ago, we'll call it Timber Creek Church, and... Uh, People in the church that I love, but to be honest, they can get on my nerves. And if I'm being honest and you're being honest, I can get on yours. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, I have found, though, the more I pray for people with joy, the more I put them in my heart, the more I work at cultivating the habits of happiness that Paul lays out, the less they're on my nerves and the more they're in my heart. So to wrap up today, I wanna give you something we're doing over this entire, 
over this entire series, we're going to give you some summer vibes to memorize, 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 summer vibes to memorize. And these are some scriptures. And here's the challenge. I'm throwing out the challenge for you that I'm telling you, you can memorize the next country song like in you hear it three times and you got it memorized. You got it. How much more important than remembering that you got friends in low places that you would actually memorize summer vibes that come from the writings of Paul. And here is the scripture I'm encouraging you that by next Sunday, you would have memorized. And encourage your kids to do it too. There's like 25, 26 words in this memory verse for this week. Here it is. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. Everybody, all locations, out loud, even online, let's say it out loud together. Here we go. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Good job, let's go. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. You can make your requests with hurry. You can make your requests with regret. You can make your requests with joy. Let those, let those pieces be um, an earmark of your summer. What would the atmosphere of your home feel like? The vibe. And I'm not talking about feng shui and I'm not talking about contemporary or traditional. What would the vibe of your home be like if you were thankful, prayed with joy, expected and called out and carved out the best in people. Brings us to the, to the fourth and final habit. God knows how much I love you and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. If you have found it hard to love people and pray with them for joy, it's because you are engaging a temporary compassion. You're engaging a compassion that may be just a heartfelt feeling, but there's something spiritual, supernatural, a, a compassion that's tender from Jesus himself. And that fourth habit is, let's love the people in my life like Jesus does. Love them like Jesus does. I don't always love my wife the way Jesus has called me to love her. In fact, scripture says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. So what does that love for me when it comes to my wife? What should it look like? Well, Jesus loved the church, and let me tell you something. Um, Jesus was torn apart for the church. Jesus was pierced and crushed for the church. Look at the cross and look at the love of, of Jesus at the cross. Father, these people have crucified me. Get them, God. No. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
some of you the simple, the simple moment that you will just let go and forgive somebody and choose to forgive them. And it may be 70 times seven this summer. That may be all that's keeping you from the kind of happiness Jesus wants to flow through you. Father, forgive them. He looks at a common criminal who had obviously not completed all the God things in his life. And on the cross is where he first begins. Will you remember me when you enter paradise? Will you enter me? Will you remember me? Jesus says, today you can be with me in paradise. He, he speaks to the potential, not what got him there. And to your hands, I commit my spirit. There's so many things we commit our emotions and commit our spirit and commit our attitudes and commit our thoughts. To love like him means I also surrender and everything I have, I, I put in his hands. Love like Jesus loves. Because you can't love with just your own love. But that perfect love will drive out the fear that hinders your happiness. Perfect love will drive out the fear that hinders you being willing to forgive. Man. Be a person that is earmarked with tender compassion. Man. And that will give off some life-changing summer vibes. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads at all locations? Two prayers today. First, the only way you can learn to love like Jesus loves is to experience his love for yourself. I, I can tell you honestly, nobody on the face of the planet loves like Jesus loves until they have found Jesus as their savior. Because with, without his spirit in you, without him guiding you, you just won't know what real love is. And maybe you've been looking for love in a lot of different ways, through a lot of different means. You've been looking for happiness. I want you to know when you find Jesus, you find the source of everything. So right where you are at our locations, maybe you recognize today that you've been living your own life, being the king of your own throne. And today you say, Jesus, I'm gonna step off the throne of my heart and I'm gonna place you there. Thank you for loving me so much that you would die for me, that you would wanna produce fruit in me and that you have compassion for me. Thank you, God, for not being mad at me today, but giving me this moment to make things right with you give my heart to you today. Help me to walk with you one step at a time. I, I don't wanna live in this cloud. I wanna live open and free. And I know that if I find you, I can find real happiness. Thank you, Jesus. The second group that we're praying for today, uh, you just know that if, if people were to begin to make a list of the vibes that would describe you, happiness would probably not be one. If, if that's the case, I just want you to know, um, let's start now. I am confident that God who can begin a good work can also finish it. And you can be earmarked again 
for happiness and joy of the Lord being your strength. Can I pray that over you? Maybe you'd put your hands on your heart or maybe you'd lift your hands kind of to heaven, palms up. I, however you do that and respond, Jesus, we receive your joy today, your fruit of the spirit of joy. Um, we're gonna rejoice. We're gonna recalibrate our joy in you. We're gonna do it over and over. God, would you, um, would you give us the determination and also just give us the passion to just dive in to your word through the book of Philippians this summer that as we look eight weeks from now, that happiness will be on our faces and in our homes and happening in our jobs and happening in our marriages and that we would just be the kind of people that are known that just, man, those are, those are just some happy people because your joy is our strength. We ask it all in the name of Jesus the tender, compassionate Son of God. Everybody said amen.